I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we are super excited because we have the author of a book that we reviewed not so very long ago. You may remember us mentioning Nicholas Wood-Smith, who is in Cape Town, South Africa. He is the author of the Cat Drummond series, and he has come to tell us all his secrets. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Uh, for secrets, well, there wouldn't be much secrets if I was to share them on the air, uh, but I'm more than happy <laughs> to discuss my writing and my books. I was going to say, you can't share any secrets because I haven't finished it yet. So, <laughs> Yeah, this has to be a spoiler-free interview because Shelley's on like book seven of a thousand. So Yeah, so anything past book seven, shh, quiet. <laughs> I'm going to have to try. I try. <laughs> so there's what, 15 at the moment, I believe? So there are, there are 14... Um, primary novels in the Cat Drummond series, but in the Greater Catverse, there are two additional um, novels. One of them's only actually coming out on the 21st of December. The paperbacks are currently available just because I, I released them earlier, so then my review, uh, early review bird reviewers can review it, and then it syncs to the ebook. you know, all that industry stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, that so there's the 14 books in the main series. You can probably uh, detect there's 1 a.m. here because I will be prone to rambling. Um, go, go for it. <laughs> so Bloodhunter is one of the spinoffs, which uh, follows one of the side characters and kind of propels him into becoming uh, his uh, his own major character, semi-protagonist. Ooh, and I would one? call it a spinoff, but I, <laughs> uh, late in the series, it ends up becoming almost required reading. No, no, uh, no. You've got to tell me who it is now. Who gets this side uh, series? Who is it? So uh, Blood Hunter is about the background and origin story of Guy Mgebe, who's uh, ah. Brett's fr- silent friend. So uh, you, he's very quiet up until a point, mostly because, you know, he's very uh, stoical. Um, he mentions things here and there. Like uh, in book five, you'll, he, he may, it, no, uh, no spoilers, but he mentions some stuff about his background. And um, a lot of people, you know, brush it aside. But when I wrote that, I realized, wait, this this guy's quite kind of interesting. Um, I want to write his background, um, especially because he's Corsa. So he, um, he's from a different part of uh, South Africa than where um, the Cat Drummond series is mainly set. And he allows me to explore some more backgrounds to the region and some more of the geopolitics that's um, kind of referenced you know, like um, Kat constantly is talking about, you know, the Zulu Empire and the three-point line occasionally. But it's, it's always in the background. The, the monsters are what she cares about. But this book is set uh, years before in the heart of the Zulu Empire. So you get a lot more of that context and you see the area and the Catverse from another angle. Guy is also so- just a really cool character. Sorry. Yes, yes. But so that brings up a thing that I mentioned in my review. And I think um, we talked briefly, you wanted to mention it, where I had said where I never got the feeling that I was in Cape Town. Now, was that just me because I was just reading monsters? Or are you trying to really imply Cape Town? Or did you want to keep it more generic? Or So um, this is something which I've actually, it's come up on some of the Facebook groups before, um, where people have said, oh, no, it, it doesn't seem so African enough. Um, so that mm-hmm. and they see Cape Town as, you know, as you say, a little bit generic. And I think the thing is, is that 
Cape Town is actually quite a cosmopolitan, many people would say European style city in that it was a, in the past, a white settler colony. It's been very much anglicized. It was um, founded by the Dutch, uh, governed by the British for a very long time. So it's very cosmopolitan. And the big thing about cosmopolitan cities is they tend to start reflecting most modern cities. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially later on in the series, I do. Cat uh, does go into other parts of the city where I will then. It, it's far enough in the series where I think I'm not going to scare people off. So I start throwing in some <laughs> Afrikaans and throwing in some slang, um, stuff which I think might scare some early readers. But I'm like, okay, you guys have read for this long enough now. I'm just going to throw in a few Afrikaans sentences. And um, in, uh, um, but also Hope City in itself is a combination of being like real life Cape Town, but also. I've put in my own alternative things. So it's not just the magical stuff, which has you know, changed the city. It's also the state of the politics and the part of the alternative history that's formed the cataclysm because the cataclysm triggered in 1993. So if um, anyone knows the history of South Africa in 1994 was the first democratic elections. So when apartheid uh, was ended effectively uh, with those elections and it was in real life it was ended by a referendum a democratic referendum um where all the white voters um decided to vote to end apartheid and give the vote to the black population but in this world that didn't happen because the cataclysm came uh zombies started go, um, tearing people apart dragons started taking over cities the titan awoke and then was promptly put to sleep so in this world, uh, the apar- uh, apartheid was ended by decree by a transitional government that um, then started falling apart because it's kind of hard to, to govern a territory that was already on the verge of civil war now that there's magical warlords and monsters and magic and all this other stuff. But that's why um, the Cape Town, uh, um, so Cape Town, Hope City, Hope City is a mutated form of Cape Town because it's much larger. I've um, I've been me- meaning to actually draw a proper map of it. It's mostly just been it serves me to be a little bit vague with its geography, so because mm-hmm. allows it's me easier to make that changes. way. Yeah, yes. But I do want to make a map, <laughs> especially how, how far it is. It's much larger. The population is bigger, mostly because people have had to flock there because it's not safe to be in the smaller towns anymore. Um, okay, and. Um, but the reason why it might seem, I think, generic is that, to a large extent, maybe it is. It it does it, it does feel very different from the rest of South Africa. It's very English. It's um, very modern. Um, a lot of people say it's a first world um, city in a third world country. And um, but where I try to actually show this in the um, books is that Hope City is a very eccentric place. It's a very, uh, you probably see this in the way that politics works, that it's constantly on the verge of an apocalypse, yet the people just muddy along. They're more concerned with bureaucracy or just petty contracts and just, you know, just the, la- the letter of some arbitrary law that no one really cares about than, you know, finding an actual answer to monster attacks or um, trying to discover the nature of the arcane. And uh, um, this eccentricity is a combination of that, the fact that Cape Tonians are very eccentric in real life. And I say this as one. The rest of <laughs> South Africa sees this as very eccentric. There's a lot of maps where it says um, South Africa, according to um, Cape, uh, um, Cape Tonians, it just shows a small little dot in the corner where Cape Town is. This is Cape Town. And then it shows everywhere else is just Johannesburg. 
<laughs> which is our, <laughs> our rival local city. Um, we do eccentric, so we're good with that. It sounds like you have an incredibly well, I mean, obviously you're like 14 books in now, so you have a very well-developed universe and mm. setting and all of that. But when you started writing this, did you know that you were going to write 14 books? Did you have a plan to make this a long-term series? Or did it just sort of take you away and decide that that's what it was doing? So I knew that I wanted to do 15 or 16 books, and I vaguely knew where I was going to go. Now, in, in the first planning stages when I was brainstorming, I knew I wanted to write an urban fantasy series. It's diff- It's very different from that. The main premise is still similar. It, I wanted a university student with a ghost inside her head who hunts monsters, but... Mm-hmm a lot of stuff has changed from there. There was going to be like a dragon shifter and there was going to be also, there was going to be a love triangle involving Treth. But after writing the first book, I realized that just that wouldn't work. So um, that's why that, uh, because I think anyone who's read the first book will know that'd be kind of creepy. (laughs) It it just didn't work. work. I concur. (laughs) So why, why did you set out to write such a, I mean, this is a huge undertaking and it's a time consuming undertaking. What was it about this like long term series that really made you say, yes, that's where I want to spend my time? I think it's just because it lets me say a lot. And I, I like the slow burn plot lines. I like a book where there's a reference in a one earlier book and then you get, the, and finally, like the reference is fulfilled five books on. I like that idea that you're being absorbed into this epic plot, this epic conspiracy that takes a very long time to fulfill, but it will be paid off. With the Cat Drummond series, I initially went into it thinking it's going to be episodic because that's what I thought um, a lot of other urban fantasy series are like, but that's just not how I like writing. So that's why I put in the overarching plot line of the Conclave and the Mentor and how it ended up forming into arcs where you'll meet a character in one book and then like four books later, you finally get their actual book um, because I want that time. So you get to know them and you get to appreciate them. And um, I, um, I think that when it comes to pacing, the best way to actually appreciate a character or a plot line or a setting is just to read a lot about it. It takes a very good writer to be able to immediately make you appreciate a setting and character with such a short uh, book. And I don't know if I'm good enough to do that. So I just write a very long series. <laughs> so you plan to do this long series from the start mm. and now you've written a long series. Are, is there still more cat drama to come or are you now going to branch out into something else? I know you also write another series, uh, Warp Mancer, I believe. So um, 2022, my plan is to, quickly jump back to my sci-fi series Warpmancer. The plan was initially going to be to write six books of Cat Drummond and then go back to the sci-fi, finish it, and then come back to Cat Drummond. But then I got a little bit ahead of myself because I really enjoyed writing about Cat. I like a lot. It does mean that I've left my sci-fi fans hanging, and it's very unfair. Oh, yeah. um, the problem is there's very few of them because that was my first series. I didn't know what I was doing. And admittedly, as much as I like writing about sci-fi, I understand very little about the genre. So uh, it's more like fantasy in in its format, but then throwing in like laser guns and robots and stuff, um, which is bad. There's because, nothing you know, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with <laughs> no. 
You, you could even throw in a dinosaur that. or something. I mean, whatever. Go for it. Yeah. Shelly loves so, um, dinosaurs. I'm going to be trying to rebrand that and effectively trying to make it marketable so I can have this extra series while also writing the final four books in that series and then releasing it. Um, the final book in the series is actually called The Promised End, which is a reference to what, something that one of the villains that is the title of the villain. Um, but also it's because I've promised my readers I'm going to end this damn series. Um, <laughs> this, well, this raises an interesting question, which you were, I think, starting to answer in that I was wondering how long, how many books did it take for you to feel like you had traction with Cat? Like, how many books did you write before you felt like you had a fan base, you had an audience that was eager for the next book? So um, when I did Cat, I initially started it seeing uh, as this is going to be my business book. I'm going into this seriously, unlike my sci-fi ones. Um, so I re- wrote the first three chapters as like a proof of concept. And then I sent it out in book funnel and collected, few, I think, 2,000 subscribers based on um, just those three chapters. So I had a fan base uh, from the get-go. Unfortunately, not all 2,000 of those people actually you know, purchased the book, but still nice. Wow, yeah. And fr- I rapid-released the first six books. So I didn't even plan a launch until, besides you know, just maintaining my uh, the subscriber fan base and you know, just keeping up the hype a little bit. I could have done more, but we you know, can always do more. And, we, and hindsight is um, an arsehole. Um, <laughs> And um, so I would say that it's hard to tell because I released the first six books within weeks of each other. So I would say technically book one, maybe, um, but that's only because I released the book so far a year ahead of the initial launch. So I had all this time to really get these people on board. I don't think it would work now, mostly because too many authors are doing mailing lists. I remember mm-hmm. back when I start, um, started um, my mailing list in 2017 with my sci-fi, I was able to get hundreds of subscribers a month with ease, without almost any effort. I just had to put it out there and I just got it. And the unvaluable subscribers as well, not just like spammy ones who are just going to like just never open my emails. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I'm lucky to get in the, in the double digits per month with effort and um, very most of them won't open my emails just because there's just too many authors doing it. But at the time, it worked. And um, rapid release also helped. Uh, but obviously, with hindsight, there's plenty of things I could have done better. But I think I will be able to do them better now because I've got this experience. And also, I've got a nice little war chest from the money that I've made from the Cat Drama series. So I'm, I like that, a war chest. <laughs> definitely that. It's all a crusade. <laughs> That's a an important takeaway, I think, um, for those out there who are learning about marketing, trying to get your books out there. What worked even in 2017 might not work the same way today. Mm. Like this this industry is evolving so rapidly that to a certain degree, it's sort of experiment and see what, what works. It's exa- exactly that. Have you done any other experiments that you feel like really paid off for you? So um, where I would say my series really exploded was with the advice of one of my... Um, fellow authors, uh, N.A. Grotopas. I've never actually pronounced her surname, so I'm, I'm probably butchering it. Um, if it was Afrikaans, it would be like Grotopas, but it's American, so I'm not sure. Um, but uh, she advised me to do a box set of the first four books and then release it um, at 99 cents 
for an entire month and just plow it with uh, promotional email lists and advertising and everything. And that was my best month ever. Got, um, I think, wow. uh, hundreds, if not maybe a thousand new fans. It was um, excellent. And the read through and people loved the series. That was probably my best moment because at that point it was um last year june and then i extended it to july because it was just so going so well that i had it 99 cents for two months but this was in the th- uh, when the tactic was still a little bit new and now everyone's doing it mm-hmm. and um the big problem is is that uh the types of people now who most of the people now who are going to be buying 99 cents box sets tend to have huge um tbr lists so it takes them a very long time to get mm-hmm. to your book so you're only going to see dividends, if if ever, months later. Well, that's true, because they're going to have all these other box sets to read. Mm. But so that brings us to another thing. So you've got all these Cat Drummonds and you've got Wartmancer. How many books do you write a year, for heaven's sakes? <laughs> um, <laughs> it used to be more. I'm trying to remember. The problem is, is that it dropped dramatically in 2020, you know, due to just lockdown blues. And uh, this year it dropped even more because I had a full-time, part-time job where, you know, you know the type of thing where you, you're, you're being paid part-time. Um, <laughs> it's meant to be part-time hours, but the problem is it's something where I'm a project-driven guy and I don't really stop until I've reached a certain threshold on my project. So if it's a book, I like to finish a chapter or I like to finish two chapters or whatever or a certain word count, but this was social media and there wasn't really a any sort of stopping point. It's just expose this organization, just make sure they have a good brand, a lot of followers, and just keep posting on Twitter. And Twitter is a vile place where um, <laughs> the problem was I was good at it. But the, pro- but the problem was I was good at it, but I hate it so much. Now, I will say I'm, I'm good at the South African politics side of it. I'm not good at the fiction marketing side on Twitter. I don't understand how, honestly, when I look at Twitter, I don't understand how it can be used for anything other than just trying to ferment political tribalism. <laughs> you have very strong opinions on Twitter. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I, I was, for most of this year, I was being paid to go on that cesspool. <laughs> so what social media, if any, do you use? I do like Facebook, and the reason I like Facebook is just because of groups. I like the way the groups work because they're the closest thing we have. Now, obviously, like forums and stuff still exist, and we still have Reddit, but those have very niche audiences. But Facebook groups are the closest thing we have to those old you know, forums that I used to enjoy when I was um, in high school that people actually use. Is there a Cat Drummond Facebook group? Uh, yes, it's uh, Cats Crusaders. So it's uh, facebook.com slash cats.crusaders. Uh, Cool. Yeah. So Shelly's signing now. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I like Facebook a lot because of that. I think there's a lot, of, a lot wrong with the law of social media, but it's here. There's no point, you know, trying to get rid of all of it. Unless it's Twitter, we should get rid of Twitter. Um, <laughs> I also tried TikTok, but the problem is I hated it so much. I hate. I just, <laughs> I, I'm like an old man, but I'm only like trying to stick. It's like get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, my, my biggest problem with TikTok, though, was um, I was using it for marketing. I was going in there with the extremely insincere goal of trying to sell books. The problem um. is, is that uh, there's soft geolocking. So all my organic reach for my videos was only to South Africans. And South Africans don't read. 
it's something where I tried a lot to get South Africans to read. They don't. Okay. <laughs> no, it's it, it, the problem is it's that um, so our percentage of novel readers is actually the same percentage as the United States, but we have a far um, lower population. So it's just hmm. it's not that it isn't wow. that a critical mass where it's worth it. Where um, like the UK has a very small population, but it's got like a massive percent of UK citizens actually have read a novel in like the last year, which is it so it makes it a viable market. When t- just the lower than thirty percent of people have read a book in the last year in South Africa, and also it tends to always be nonfiction, and of the nonfiction hmm. it tends to always just be about sports. I never thought of those kind of so things at all. <laughs> Well, we're glad that you're here to talk to more of the American market. I think we, we do have some listeners in like Australia and Canada, definitely. If people do want to hang out with you online, they, they should probably go to Facebook since you hate all other forms of social media. Do you have a website as well? Yes, uh, nicholaswoodsmith.com. So they can find you there if they don't like social media at all. I'd prefer for you to hang out with me there um, because then I don't have to share any of my traffic with everything else on Facebook. You won't get distracted. I've got a lot of my stuff there. There's law articles. If you want to read more about the history of the catverse and the, my alternative law history where I try to justify my history degree, um, <laughs> you can read it there. Um, Justifying your history degree in urban fantasy. That's a new one. <laughs> That's like a sport, justifying your history. Hey, I've written so many history articles, and I'm like, well, no one cares about these, so I'm just going to make an alternative history of Africa. And that's, made fine. that's actually made some money. It seems to be going well for you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's always interesting to talk to an author with a different perspective. Thank you. It's fun. <laughs>